you can't seek a profession, um, professional life and meet your professional goals without also talking about your life as a mother. The two go hand in hand and to find alignment and to find that path that allows you to do both in a way that balances them, which is going to be different for every person. That to me is just pure magic and everyone deserves to figure that piece out. Welcome to the Not Just a Mom Show, where we have open and honest conversations about the vulnerabilities and the victories within entrepreneurship and new motherhood. If we haven't met yet, I'm Nicole Pazvier, and I'm going to be your host. Here on the show, we don't subscribe to perfection. In fact, being present is the new perfect, and showing up messy is the new norm. My hope is that this podcast serves as a safe space for me and inspiration for you to stop living life watered down. Together, we will uncover versions of our most potent selves where we show up unapologetically, intentionally, and without filter. We are worthy, just as we are, as all that we are, not just the label we put on ourselves. We are more than just a mom, and I'm so glad you're here. Have you ever stopped to check in with yourself and actually notice if that thing you're doing, say a wedding, planning for a baby, or making the next career change, is guided by your intuition or just another thing to cross off the never-ending list of things society expects from us? I know I've certainly been guilty of this, but this episode isn't about me, it's actually about my friend Ashley. This week I'm joined by Ashley Beattie, who is a self-development coach and fellow student in the Seasons of Matrescence training I'm currently doing right now. And in this episode, she shares her own journey through motherhood and how she's trusted her intuition while balancing her professional goals and the turbulence that comes with new motherhood. The thing that's really cool about Ashley's story is she's already 10 years into motherhood. So she's had a lot of time reflecting on um, like her birth experience, her postpartum experience, and all the things that have kind of unraveled in her journey so far, including a cross-country move and going back to work while her husband took on the role of stay-at-home dad. So it was really cool to witness Ashley reflect on all of this in its entirety. She shared with me that this was the first time that she's actually shared her story kind of from beginning to end, and I am just constantly so grateful for this podcast and for you guys to keep listening each week and for this space to have women just like Ashley come and share their story. Um, Before we get into it, I do want to remind you that this is technically the second episode in my three-part matrescence journey series, if we're calling it that. In case you missed it, last week we heard from Dana who shares her matrescence journey into a queer awakening and next week I have Nikki joining me who shares her story which includes navigating postnatal depression and just all the unexpected turbulence that comes with new motherhood and I think all three of these unique stories have universal threads and pieces that we can all relate to. Before I start rambling on and potentially get emotional and mushy about how amazing it's been to have these conversations, 
with these women, I am going to hit play on my conversation with Ashley. Like, this is always awkward. Cause like, do I introduce like how I know you or do we just start talking? But like, let's just start talking. So hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here, Nicole. I have to tell you that being on a podcast or having a podcast is a dream of mine. Mm. That is very much tied into my motherhood journey. So I'm like, yeah, this is love all, it. All being oh, here, so I you. love it. I'm so happy you're here too. And I'm so happy that you are um, literally li- living a tiny part of your dream right now. That's awesome. That's something to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you ever like have those moments where you're you're literally just existing and you stop for a second and you're like, holy cow, I'm literally like doing the things that like five, 10 years ago were in my wildest dreams. No, I really should take more time to appreciate them. But yeah, this is one of those things. So <laughs> that's so cool to hear. Yeah, let's like let's just like dive right in. So you are a mom of two. Um that's really all I know about your babies other than you have two. You are in Ontario, Canada, right? And you are a teacher currently working part-time, mm-hmm. an eighth grade teacher. But yeah, tell me more about your motherhood journey. And if we want, mm-hmm. if it if it if it makes sense, you can kind of weave in some of your career in that as well because I imagine there was maternity leaves while you were teaching and I know there's some changes coming up for you right now as well so feel free to weave some of that in if it makes sense. Yeah it's all kind of coming into one path which is pretty cool Um, but yeah I've got two little not so little ones. Um, I have a daughter who is nine and a half will be 10 in October and a son who is four going to be five in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I've been on this road for I guess just a little over 10 years, which is wild to think. Um, And yeah, I guess if I look back to the beginning, I um, uh, would start with my relationship that my husband, we we're both teachers and, and met, uh, and we got started dating, got engaged, got married very quickly. So within a couple of weeks of dating now, bear in mind, we'd known each other for a while and we were really good friends, but he bought uh, an engagement ring for me about a week after we started dating proposed, uh, less than six months later. And then 12 months later, we were married uh about six weeks later he got pregnant so it was just like boom 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 um also got a dog when I was about five months pregnant so we were just like check 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 like all yeah I was just about to say like talk about like the to-do list that we write for ourselves like you guys were just banging it out like one thing Mm -hmm. after the next crossing it off the list um that's hilarious that he bought the ring a week after you guys started dating, but then still waited five months or six months to propose. An epic (laughs) proposal, which yeah, it was pretty spectacular. So yeah, it's crazy how, um, when I look back and think, yeah, was I, you know, how much of it was me checking the boxes and how much of it was, you know, really me listening to my intuition. And I can honestly say the decision to get married intuition. Cause I remember thinking, Oh gosh, this is fast, mm. but there wasn't a doubt in my mind. 
And then the dog was definitely an intuition thing. It was the nesting. It was the me wanting connection, me wanting to to nurture and and mother something, even though I had a baby in my belly. (laughs) I just wanted that feeling of, um, yeah, just creating this little family, I guess. And, and so, yeah, a lot of people thought we were crazy. It was, yeah, there were moments. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Hearing you say that gave me literally full body, full body chills because not very often can we discern between our intuition and I guess often the the opposing the opposing side would be fear but in your case like just like that logical thinking brain where it's like this doesn't make sense this is crazy and yet you still did the thing because your intuition was so strong and you chose to listen and that's amazing mm-hmm. because I feel like not many of us do that especially like when we're younger and we have no idea what we're doing and we're trying to just show up and be successful new adults, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. But I would say pregnancy was a different story. I think I thought Mm. um, that's what you do after you get married. And uh, by no means do I have any regrets, but the timing, certainly it was a lot. Um, the other piece was that we moved, uh, we were in, located in Ontario at that time. And we moved when my daughter was 10 months, nine months old to BC. So we did a, a cross Canada left our jobs um, move. So that added to the postpartum experience. But um, yeah, a lot of major life changes in a really short amount of time. Um I often, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to this, do the things and then realize the toll they've taken on me. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have the foresight to think, huh, what kind of toll is this going to take on me personally as an individual? This is great for my family, this move. This is great for husband, for his work. This is great in all these other areas. But what is this going to do to me? You know? Mm-hmm. As women and as mothers and as wives, it's so easy to put everyone else before ourselves, right? We It's ingrained in us to do that. And then we're conditioned and praised by society to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So had you put like the brakes on and said, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense. I'm like, not even 10 months postpartum. We are just figuring this parenthood stuff out. Um, You would have potentially like looked like, I don't know the context of the situation, but potentially you could have like looked like a bad wife for not supporting your husband Mm -hmm. or whatever other stories might have been painted had you made a different decision. So that's interesting that, like you said, like it's easy to see that now, but in the moment, it's very, very hard to actually put yourself first and think about what the consequences of all those changes are going to have on you physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think initially too, um, postpartum within those first you know, 10 months when we're trying to decide what to move, I also, I think the focus was very much on doing the things for the baby. It was, um, Mm -hmm. 
not how is this affecting me, not how am I feeling, not my own experience mm-hmm. with it, and how am I changing? And as we're learning through our matrescence course, that there are so many things that change and are affected yeah. within the mother. When yeah. I was going through all those and fighting them, but not recognizing that that's what was happening. So um, from the outside, probably looked like everything was fine. We had this beautiful family, beautiful daughter, the dog. We're making this big move like, oh, wow, really cool. Look at them. They've got it all together. And I had no idea how um, how disconnected, I guess, I was from myself. I just didn't even recognize myself. I I was trying to figure that out at the same time. And I guess I just look back now and think I was just, um, for one, I think that move, I was blindly following my husband. Um, I just very much trusted that this was a great idea. And it was, had some really positive things to it. But again, I didn't stop to think, what about me? Where am I going to work? What are the opportunities for me? I just thought this is this is great. <laughs> um, and so that kind of makes me mad when I think, and no one was asking me. No one was asking mm. me either. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. I think that just says it all right there, right? It, it just shows the disconnect that society has in valuing the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and when someone has a baby, all the focus is on the baby and maybe mm-hmm. the family unit as a whole. So like you said, it looked like you guys had it together. You were making this cross-country move. You had the dog, you had stable careers like it looks like you are thriving but nobody actually like hones in and checks on mom Mm -hmm. and that just perpetuates ourselves from not checking in on ourselves either because we don't have the space to Mm -hmm. we literally don't have the space to because whatever the answer is when we do that Mm check-in we very likely might not even be able to meet that need or Mm -hmm follow up to whatever it is that our intuition or heart is telling us when we check in. Yeah. And that's just so sad. It's so sad. But I think that's a common story for many of us. Yeah. But I was happy, you know, I really didn't even know that Mm. I was suffering on the inside. And that's another, Mm -hmm. I think, thing that I look back and I was, yeah, it was like foggy. I was um, not clear on my priorities and my values and things like that. I just was going through a lot of motions and, um, but yeah, then that intuition started speaking really loudly when things, uh, this, you know, when we moved really bothered me, Mm. really bothered me. Um, and I remember thinking something isn't right. Something just doesn't fit here. And I think a lot of it had to do with, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to be politically correct here because I don't want to 
say the wrong thing but um anyway i know we can edit something out if we have to but uh i remember and there's no wrong thing whatever you say is probably the right thing (laughs) but this is i think a, a really great example that illustrates what i'm trying to say um i was working um so at the same place as my husband he had to leave for for work so i ended up having to bring my daughter to work okay she's a year and a half at this point and the scenario was a um a student so we were working at the school and it was a student who had come to back to speak at the school about a really personal experience of hers and i knew this student quite well and had worked closely with her for the last six months and she was coming to speak about a really personal issue and i was like wow this is fantastic what a what an example she's setting and i'm so proud of her i need to be there i have my daughter i don't have anyone to look after her but i need to be there so i went and it was in this theater and as 18 months, 18 month olds tend to do, she made a little noise. So I stood um, in the hallway outside the theater and she walked up and down the hallway, kind of chit-chatting away to herself, but happy noises. Yep. And someone came to the door, told me to shush another adult and closed the door on me. And in that moment... I raged. Actually, no, I didn't rage. I was so embarrassed Mm. and sad. And the tears just, I couldn't get back to my apartment fast enough. Um, But I really think it's a strong example of how um, I just didn't feel supported. Mm -hmm. And I didn't Mm -hmm. know, I didn't know how to navigate that. But there I was trying, showing up, doing my best that I could and was told to be quiet. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, everyone was in their best interest. That person was looking after that student and trying to give her the best experience possible. I totally respect that. But again, no one was asking, what do you need? How can I help? I was going to say, and you also had your own feelings and you were just shut out. You were told to be quiet or your daughter was you were basically told to um quiet your daughter who isn't even doing anything wrong she's just being an 18 month old and then you are basically kicked out and told you don't belong here yeah yeah so and then I you know just felt like what am I doing here why am I here what is the point I can't even (laughs) do what I know is right is for me to be there supporting that student and yet I can't be there. In the moment or even in the days after, could you see um, like the wrongness of that from the other party or were you internalizing it as like, it's something I did wrong. Like I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have had my daughter there. I should have made sure we were quieter. Like what was going on in your mind the days after yeah. that? That's if you remember. I think I was mad at the person. Yeah. I just thought, oh, that person is insensitive. Yeah. As opposed to thinking of it's a bigger issue. You know what I mean? Because he is a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um and I think because it represented the lack of support that I felt. And not just at that job or in that move, just 
from the get-go, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. that's not to say that people weren't there for me. It's not to say that I was all by myself. It's just what I'm learning now about matrescence and all of the changes. It's that nobody was recognizing all of those things in me. Mm-hmm. And we've also been learning about how this information is passed down from generation to generation. And so it's just sad that there were so many people that could have been passing that down, but society and and whatnot (laughs) has prevented that from happening. So no one's done anything wrong. Yeah. It's just, we're not set up for success. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. We're not set up for success and there just isn't the space. to actually feel all the emotions, right? You, um, it, it sounds like like very quickly you would have had to just kind of keep on going and like make sure that never happened again. And again, just no room to check in with, well, what do I actually want here? Like, and why is it that that person's feelings or opinions that your toddler was being too loud, trump your feelings and opinions that you want to be in the theater listening to your past student, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the the weight of worthiness is so off balance. And yet I feel like society can agree that being a mother is one of the most important jobs in the world, but actions speak louder than words and the action nobody's acting on it no one's stepping up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I guess you know when you say did you internalize it you know I probably did and the internalization was why didn't I make arrangements for my kid Mm. why didn't I find someone to watch her why can I not, you know, set things up like that? Why did you decide to take on this role if you knew you had these obligations with your child so young? Why did you yeah. move across the country where you didn't have away a from your system? support system? Yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. And no one said that to me, but that's definitely the feeling I had. Maybe it's a story I created in my head, but yeah, that was sort of funny. that was the way I internalized it, I think. Yeah. 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 When I could see how, like, if you continue to internalize it and if you continue to tell the stories in your head, it very quickly could spiral into, I'm failing as a mother, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it can get dark from there. So anyways, tell tell me more. So at this point, you're 18 months-ish. Um, you're back at work. You guys are still in a new province, new city, very little support system. Yeah. And I think what you just said right there kind of just had a bit of an aha that I felt like a failure many times because Mm -hmm. of certain things, like my child couldn't be quiet at a thing, at an event. Um, Like she was sleeping the night and then she wasn't. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with her? What's wrong with me that I, she's not Mm -hmm. sleeping through the night. Mm -hmm. I'm doing something wrong because she's not sleeping. Yeah. 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 She wasn't yeah. She's not wasn't a great eater. Wouldn't try new foods. What's wrong with me that I yeah. can't get her? Look at all these other babies that eat, you know, whatever's put in front yeah. of them, mine won't. What's wrong? Yeah. 
And so I think. I'm pretty sure dads aren't laying awake at night having those thoughts. Yeah. It would be rare if they did, I think. And um, yeah. And I think I was shoving those feelings down. I don't remember really worrying about them. I just remember this, like, basically a chronic, you suck. You suck. You're really bad at this. You don't know what you're doing. And and then I remember another vivid moment of that experience out West was driving. It was around Christmas time. So now she's two years old and maybe two months. And I remember going, I don't know, crying. We were going driving somewhere, the three of us in the car and my husband, my daughter and I. And I just remember sobbing and saying, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know how. And at that point, you know, tantrums had started. She was too, you know, pushing back. And I just was like, I don't want to do anymore. I'm so not cut out for this. Who, why did I think I was? And it was an awful feeling. And I'm sure I scared the life out of my husband. He's probably like, oh, no. (laughs) What have we done? Like, you're the one that's supposed to know what you're doing. (laughs) I'm just following you, you know? Not really, but yeah. So that that was, um, and I wouldn't say that was like a turning point or anything. Um, I just picked myself back up because you do, because you have to. And it's not like that kid's going away. And I just continued to try different things. But again, the focus was always on the things for the, the child. Okay, are they meeting this milestone? Are they doing this? And um what was the turning point? Eventually, I guess. Um, well, wasn't for another few years. But um, we decided to move back to Ontario uh, when she was uh, just over two and a half. So we stayed out west for two years. And I think when I think back on this experience, it was me looking for more, looking for a connection, looking to solve it, like looking to f- some find something that fulfilled me. Instead of looking at me, I was looking to do something else. I was like, okay, well, maybe this job would do it. You know, maybe being back in Ontario, closer to friends, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. And again, people thought we were crazy. Why would you leave BC? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it is, of course it is. Mm-hmm. I could mm-hmm. go back there in a heartbeat, but it, it, it was a really difficult experience. So anyway, we moved back. We moved into Toronto. That was crazy. I had a job. My husband stayed home for a year. The flack he got. Oh, that's probably a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, that was that was difficult. Let's let's pause there for a second though, because I would love to hear not so much like the flack he got, but just what it was like for you having to hold space for almost like the stereotypical role reversal, right? So now you are the breadwinner, you are the 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 mom leaving the house to go to work, and your husband's the stay-at-home dad. But what is it like when I don't know, like let's say, um, I'm trying to think of an example, like just something casual that someone would say because the assumption is that it's mom at home, but because that wasn't your story, like, was that difficult to 
navigate? For him, yes. For mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm. I loved it. I loved feeling. Um, what's the right word? Um, I loved setting that example for my daughter. I loved that she was getting that time with him, that she was getting to bond with him because I knew I had a connection with her. Right. Because you had it previously. Yeah. Was there ever any guilt? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I would then overcompensate. And I remember like, uh, booking it home after work to be the one to take her to the swim lessons to like, which at that age, it's, you spend more time in the change room than you do in the freaking water. <laughs> and of course you have to change too. Right. So it's like, a <laughs> like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And, um, but I did it right. And, um, then on weekends, I would carve out special time just for her and me to make sure that, you know, I felt like we ha- I had to do that. Um, and that I felt badly if I, you know, my girlfriends invited me to go away for a weekend and be like, well, I can't do that because I've now worked all week. Dad's been with her all week. Oh, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was hard. But, um, and it was hard, I think. Yeah. The pressure of yeah. being the one going to work every day. And what if, yeah. and then I hated the job. That was tough. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we've just moved back. And initially in the first few months, I was like, oh no, what have we done again? <laughs> and the guilt I felt about that. But I'd put so much pressure on myself for it to be the job. Right. The and like, you have to be successful then, because if it doesn't work out, then all fingers get to be pointed at you. Yeah. And that's a lot so of pressure. So I made it successful. So I mm-hmm. made it successful. I blood, sweat, and tears. A lot of tears. <laughs> a lot more than the blood and the sweat, but yeah. And I was like, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to make it fucking work. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. That, but that was obviously tough. Then our second year there, that's when I, all of a sudden, I get my intuition when it talks, it is hit me over the head loud. And it said, You're t- it's time for another baby. It's mm. time. And so I remember seeing other women pregnant and I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. Like just the <laughs> jealousy would come over me. And I was like, it's time. I want... I want another one. I assume you didn't have any of those feelings the the previous three, four years before that. Not at all. I was <sighs> I was fully prepared to be uh just have one child. Oh, okay. So the plan for you guys was always one. The, you were never like it like just thinking in in my own in my own story right now, like we do mm-hmm. want other children. Um, so like mm-hmm. that is part of the plan. But me walking around right now and seeing other pregnant women, I am definitely not jealous. It's quite the opposite. In fact, it's like, I like, I'm so glad I'm not in your shoes right now. I do not want to be pregnant right now. Um, Mm. So I guess that's my intuition telling me on the other side Mm. that no, it's not time yet. 
Um, Mm -hmm. but that's really cool. So to hear that a second child was never really part of the plan in the back of your head. And then now whoosh, there's these super strong feelings of, I need to have another baby. Well, it was actually, I always wanted three kids. Okay. Had one was like, Oh no, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You kidding me? I'm going to do more of this. Yeah. Um, I'm really bad at it. It wasn't that anything (laughs) wrong with her. It was me. I just thought I was really bad at it and not cut out for it. And um, yeah, then all of a sudden something changed and I was like, I really want this. And I also had that feeling of it's now or never. She's now Mm -hmm. four or three and a half. Yeah. She was four and a half when, just over four and a half when my son was born. So yeah, I was like, it's now or never. And, but yeah, those feelings did come strong and fast. <laughs> of like, mm-hmm. you should do this. Yeah. And yeah, I think another piece of my story that I think is worthwhile sharing is that I've suffered from anxiety and depression for a good portion of my adult life. And um pre-baby as well or just postnatally yeah Mm pre-baby yeah and so I was on antidepressants through both pregnancies but I wasn't when I got pregnant with my second okay and I wasn't on medication and the hormones they also came (laughs) really fast and just raged through my body and I was a mess. I was crying all the time. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, so went back on the medication about two months in and haven't looked back, (laughs) but, uh, that was, that was scary to just suddenly feel this like really, you know, go from this high of like, well, I want to get pregnant. I want to get pregnant. Oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. Boom. Mm. Crash. And uh, that was really tough. And then making the decision to go on the medication when I was pregnant. Um, and I know that's a taboo subject for, for a lot of people, but that's my story. And, and, you know, I think I was healthier for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it also came with, um, they recommended a psychiatrist for me. So I did have, have emotional support, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, the rest of the pregnancy was relatively fine and um, really good birth experience. And then we moved again. <laughs> and with it, so within my son's I think about four or five weeks from him being born, I, he went to a communion, a wedding, a wedding anniversary, um, a funeral and moved and took a cross country flight. Wow. So that was a really chaotic and frenetic start to his life. And I think I shared this on one of our matrescence calls. I I remember vividly being like, just want to sit on the couch and breastfeed. That is all I want. And I feel like 
this, when he was born, though my intuition started, I think I started listening to it more because I knew I'd done this before. Mm -hmm. And so I remember thinking and actually like voicing that. So not just thinking it up here, but I then said it out loud. And then that's just, I started doing that more, I think. Mm. Anyway, after we moved, after about six weeks into his, his life, things started to to settle. And then Lauren went back to school and she started SK. And so I had suddenly a bit more time. It was just me and my son. And literally all we would do every day, we'd walk the dog, who was now what, five years old, sweetheart of a dog. And I would listen to podcasts. And that was like our daily activity. And all of a sudden, it was like I had space for it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to learn more. I want to mm. like take it. I don't know where it came from, but I just, it was like something like cloud lifted. And suddenly there was space in my brain to handle this stuff. And you I mean wonder, like the realm of motherhood, like it didn't feel like in comparison to your daughter's birth and your postpartum experience with her where you were constantly feeling underqualified and not cut out for it and almost resisting to step into that role mm -hmm. it sounds like the complete opposite here with your son you're you're wanting to soak it all in and really just absorb everything you can get your hands on and how to embody being a mother is that right yeah totally yeah. and I I just I think suddenly there was space because I wasn't second guessing everything and mm. um, like and not to say that there weren't stressful moments like he was not a good sleeper and I during the day he wouldn't nap for more than 20 minutes and at night he was up two three times a night at like four months old and I remember say, I said I'm doing something my husband had gone away he was working traveling or something and I was like I'm at my wit's end I need sleep so I got someone to help me I just made the call and I said I'm not gonna wait for Simon to get home to ask him about this I'm gonna do it and mm -hmm. I did and it made all the difference and she just came in and told me um I hesitate to use the word sleep train um, because I don't think that's what it was. Um, she taught me what he was capable of. Mm. And so gave I you the confidence him. and the skill set to support him better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And within two nights, he was sleeping 12, 14 hours. And not once did he cry. Not once did I have any of those uncomfortable um awful <laughs> experiences but I suddenly knew how I could what he was capable of I could hold him capable of of sleeping and uh that was a really empowering experience um and that made a big difference because now I was sleeping <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and he was sleeping and I I had the tools to support him through that and what that allowed me then what to do was not have my head filled with the worry of I'm failing. Should I have done this? Maybe I should go and do this. 
maybe I should have put them down earlier. Okay, tomorrow night, I'm going to put them down a little bit earlier. Or I'm going to go in and do the dream feed. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Right? My head wasn't filled with all of those thoughts. So that was pretty cool, I think. Which, again, in contrast to the experience with your daughter, where you said you were kind of just at this, um, like, borderline of like, I suck. Like, you felt like you were borderline failing at everything. Um, I can see how empowering it would be to feel like you succeeded at something and then to have the tools and the skill set moving forward to have the confidence in yourself and not needing to look externally for whatever it is, right? Not necessarily related to sleep, but anything else like that. That's a total boost in self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. That's huge. But I didn't know that's what I was doing either. It's just, again, hindsight. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like I sought out this person to help me little. And I chose her because I appreciated that it wasn't this like, I don't know, crazy sleep training thing. It was about empowering Mm me. Mm -hmm. How cool is it that it worked out like that? But I feel like that's a great example of your intuition speaking and things falling into alignment. Yeah. 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 So yeah, then I fell in love with podcasts and just would listen to them nonstop whenever I was, you know, cooking or I was walking and um, yeah, I was like, one day I'm going to have my own podcast and one day I'm going to be on people's podcasts. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think I just, it, it started, it prompted, I think my my son being born prompted me to stop looking outward and start looking inward and figuring out. And I was like, wow. And then I just started noticing what I was interested in listening Mm to in terms of podcasts. And I was like, oh, I'm really fascinated by neuroscience and mental health and how the two merge. Um, yeah, it, and I really loved, <laughs> that's embarrassing, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, trashy TV, but I loved listening about relationships mm. and talking about people and their stories and that I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that helped me figure out a bit more about who I, who I am. Um, so that's been a really cool, I think, experience. And it just continued, I continue to look, learn so much more about myself and my interests as I've now had space to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Did you go back to work after a year with your son? Yes. Or did your husband stay home or what, what were the dynamics work and career wise for you? Yeah, so I stayed home for 14 months um, just because as a teacher, that was the way it worked out and um, started at a new job. And this time I was working in student support, which um, was different from being in the classroom full time. I was working with students in smaller groups or one on one providing social emotional support and programming 
related to that. And I loved it because suddenly my observations about people and relationships were valid. Yeah. And and that I was like, okay, this is my dream job. This is it. Um, however, I found after, you know, and then pandemic hits and <laughs> I'm still doing yeah. this, but found that yes, to an extent, I love it. I love helping people. I love connecting one-on-one, but within the, the education system, there's so much like there's only so much impact you can have. Yeah. I was like, I want more. This isn't enough. I want, I now know this is like the direction I want to go with my career, but this is still not, still not fulfilling me enough. Um, And that's when I, at the same time I was doing a coaching program for myself and that's where I was learning even more about myself and I was feeding my soul and I was learning about um, high achieving women with anxiety. That's what the program was designed for. And so it was all these women saying like, I think the same things. I overthink this. I overthink this. And, and here are some strategies. And it was brilliant. It was exactly what I needed at exactly the right time. Um, and I don't know that I would have done that prior you know in the early stages of motherhood I don't think I would have even considered it but suddenly I was like yeah you know what self um to spend time on myself to invest in myself yeah this is worthwhile and it was and it has been anyway so that was I got to experience what it's like to do group coaching and be on the receiving end of of group coaching and uh I just knew, I don't know, somehow it was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to coach people. How do I do this? Um, so I figured out how to do it. <laughs> and, um, but what I do as a coach is I want to work with women and support everything like I've just talked about. Yeah. You can't seek a profession, um, professional life and meet your professional goals without also talking about your life as a mother. Yeah. The two go hand in hand. Yeah. And so that, you know, and to find alignment and to find that path that allows you to do both in a way that balances them which is going to be different for every person that to me is just pure magic and everyone deserves to figure that piece out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like the world would be an entirely different place if everyone's mother was supported to follow her dreams and live in alignment in whatever way that looks like. So I don't think I would have figured that out had it not been for my kids because, yeah, I think they, they force you, not force, that's the wrong word. They push you to look at those things that are hard 
um, to look at. And um, learning more about myself has made me a much better mom because I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. I am not going to be the mom that makes costumes for my kids. I am not going to be the one that sets up cute little scavenger hunts or Easter egg hunts and that kind of thing. That's just not me. But I will be the mom that's teaching my kids how to write thank you cards. And I will be the mom that is going to encourage them to read books that are, you know, a little bit more challenging for them. And I'm going to be the mom that bakes with them because those are the things that I enjoy. I love those examples because I think it can be so easy, probably anytime, but especially in motherhood, to get stuck in that comparison game of thinking, oh, well, I'm not a good mom because I'm not doing it the way so-and-so is doing. So I'm not a good mom because I don't make Halloween costumes at Halloween. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of actually like illuminating our strengths and what we are good at, it's human nature, I think, to look at things that we're lacking. And it can be this, again, like deep, dark spiral that you can get stuck going into if your focus is on all the things that you're lacking and all the things that you don't have or aren't doing well enough. And back to your first experience with your daughter and that like ongoing feeling of I'm not doing this right. That's exactly what perpetuates that is feeling like I'm not enough. I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing the things that so-and-so is doing because we're always looking at someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's easier said than done to not fall into that narrative. Um, Mm -hmm. I think especially in new motherhood, when you are feeling so inadequate because it is so new, it is literally, like I've said this before, like it literally feels like the ground beneath you has crumbled because everything is new, right? Your everything, like your role obviously is completely new. Now you are mom, not just Nicole, not just Ashley. Um, In your case, like you're no longer a teacher because you're at home with your baby. In my case, I'm no longer a nurse because I'm at home with my baby. Um, And now you are responsible for another thing every waking moment of the day. And if you're breastfeeding, then you're their source of food and Obviously, you're their source of comfort and you're their teacher. And then, of course, you're still doing all the things around the house. And yeah, it's in, it's really, really easy to just look outside and be like, well, I'm not doing it as good as so-and-so. And I think we forget that what we're seeing on the outside is often someone's um, – I mean, on social media, it's just a highlight reel. But in your example, you said from the outside, like it looked like you guys were thriving. It looked like things were successful. You were moving across country. And we are so bad at letting people see all sides of us. And I think a big part of it is because we aren't even looking at all sides of us. We aren't even allowing ourselves, like you said, we you weren't checking in with yourself. You weren't even asking yourself, what do I think of this? What does this mean for me? So how can we expect society to see us when we aren't even seeing ourselves? Mm -hmm. I didn't know to do that, right? Yeah. 
Well, it's not modeled to us. No. And so it's not modeled to us yeah. and it's not pray like we aren't praised for it if we do do it. If we do it, then we look like we are needy or in like too loud. You went you went to the theater and your daughter was too loud and then look what happened, right? We end up being shamed and literally kicked out of things told we don't belong yeah for something that you had every right to be doing and your daughter had every right to be making noise and taking up space mm-hmm. yeah it's tricky when you start looking at this from more of like a systemic level culturally mm-hmm. specifically like north america like where do we go from here how do we how do we start swinging the other way and i feel like if i look at the whole system i get really overwhelmed yeah so for too. me it's just one person at a time yeah one person at a time. Well, and that one person starts with us. Yeah. And I think about what matrescence, that word even, has meant for me and figuring all this out and looking with hindsight. And if I can share that and make a difference for one other person, it's worthwhile because it has completely shifted and made sense of my world and my life and all of the struggles and help me figure out who I am. So I, yeah, I want to, I want to sing it from, you know, the rooftops, but that's also not my style. (laughs) So I just want to bit by bit, talk to people, connect with people and share. Yeah. And I agree. Like that is where it starts because looking at it from the systemic level, it is too big. And we are just a small part of this world and this universe. Um, there was something else I was going to say, and I forget. Can I yeah. pause for one second? I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, Nicole. So sorry. Oh, you're muted. There we go. Hi. <laughs> just blabbing away. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, we just touched on, like, so many different themes, and I'm like, okay, how do I want to, like, pull this all together? Mm-hmm. Um I was reflecting a bit on, I guess, like my own experience and the parallels that I'm able to draw from both of your postpartum experiences. Um, I I think for me, like I'm I'm always saying that becoming a mom for me, birth, pregnancy, all of it was a huge catalyst for personal discovery and um, just understanding myself more. So I definitely relate to everything you were saying with your second, but I also relate to the feelings of inadequateness and feeling like you're doing something wrong and wanting to throw in the towel because you don't know what you're doing. And I feel like I have moments of that almost at every new stage, right? So Mm -hmm. like as we move through like the early, early, early newborn stage into more like the baby stage is like, holy cow, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I just need her to go back to being this little potato baby. I finally (laughs) mastered that. And now here we are. And I feel like it's been constant. So like every couple months, Mm 
it's like I figure it out and I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And then I'm hit with, oh, here we go. Like here's something completely new. Now she crawls. Now she walks. Now she, whatever it is. And so I'm almost bombarded with those feelings again of what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not cut out for this. I never want more kids because this is too hard. All of those things. So I can I can really resonate with both both of your experiences mm-hmm. in different ways. And I guess my question for you, and you might not have an answer, but maybe you do because you've had some time and years have gone by to maybe reflect on both experiences, is what do you think made the difference for your second in terms of you being so much more open to um, just like stepping into that role and being less resistive to the changes that come with motherhood? Because that's what I'm hearing from you is like the first with your daughter, I think everything was so new and scary that it was just much more comfortable to get back into your career and get back into the things that you were confident in and the things that made you feel like you. And there was a lot mm-hmm. of resistance to, I'm I'm just a mom. <laughs> and so what do you, can you pinpoint, was there a difference? Was it partially because you were back in Ontario with your support system? Was it because it was the second time around so you did know what you were doing and you had the track record to prove it? Or what do you think it was? I think it was partially that. It was like, oh, I've done this before. Mm -hmm. But I think more so it was the identity piece because the first time around, I was like, Ashley, as a mom, who's that? And I really, it took me a long time to grow into that role and to feel comfortable in my own skin as a mom and to think of myself as Lauren's mom. Um, And so when Noah was born, it was like, okay, I've been here before. This is already a part of my identity. It wasn't adding... It was adding a new dimension, sure, you know, and now mom of two as opposed to a mom of one. But that wasn't as drastic as going from being just Ashley and all my different roles pre-babies mm-hmm. to having a child, which, you know, it's seeing yourself in that role, but it's also others seeing you in that role. Mm-hmm. My parents seeing me as a mom my brothers seeing me as a mom that felt so weird my friends you know it was it was uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and so and I was like okay what kind of mom am I going to be am I going to be the cool mom that just like my kid just fits into my life or you know and we resisted I think as a couple to um totally bending our life, uh, you know, bending over backwards and and turning our lives inside out um, because we wanted to carry on in a way, the same way. And so we resisted the routines and the obsessing, even though you really can't. Yeah. Because I may not be outwardly obsessing, but it's happening inside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you can't get around it. <laughs> yeah. Once yeah. you're, I don't know, as soon as I was pregnant, it, it, you can't stop thinking about them. 
and and they're always going to be a part of you whether you resist it or not it's just <laughs> the thoughts are just going to be different so yeah. i think once yeah. i embraced it a little bit more it became easier because like i said my head wasn't consumed with the is this right is this right or you suck it was well, and it sounds okay. like you were probably in a place where you could be a bit more present and mm-hmm. just be and just exist and like you said, like your daily activity turned into going for a walk with the baby and the dog and listening to a podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that when you're on that walk and you're listening to that podcast, you're not obsessing over the nap schedule and the milestones like you were with your daughter. It's Mm -hmm. just a very different um, mindset that you're carrying around day in and day out. So of course that's more enjoyable. Yeah. And the ground just felt steadier, mm. even though like I explained all those changes happened, all those events happened. And yet the grounding, the foundation was more stable. And I had worked through so many bumps and I'd um, had that experience to draw on. And all of that was growth, right? It was so uncomfortable. Um, often really ugly, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because, yeah, it's allowed me to love my kids harder, deeper, and myself. Yeah. Yeah. And then now it's everyone more currently (laughs) allowed you to evolve into following your passions and rippling letting this ripple out into the world by coaching other women through it like talk Mm -hmm. about giving back (laughs) (laughs) but it just feels so right you know it feels like uh, a calling it feels like um what I'm meant to do and and when I'm doing it there is nothing that compares that feeling of connecting with someone and seeing that empowerment, which having experienced it is just a, just pure magic. It's just really cool to hear the ups and the downs that come with everything we do and hearing you not necessarily name them as ups and downs, but hearing the ups and downs within your story and how you always come back to like this state of equilibrium and this state of alignment it's just a matter of like how much resistance are we putting on ourselves to get there right like we all want it we all want that that balance and that alignment yeah I guess maybe like so one more thing like if if you could give advice I don't love that word but if you could give advice or like some tangible takeaways of what people might be able to do to help get back into alignment. Is there anything like top of mind for you or anything that you've specifically done or are working on yourself to stay in alignment? I think it's that idea of, like I shared, like looking out and instead turn the lens back on you Mm -hmm. and look inward. And anything that upsets you or bothers you in 
any relationship experience, whatever it is, if you ask yourself why, you'll often figure out, in my experience anyway, there's something, there's a reason it bothers you. And if you can get to the root of that, you can overcome it. And it just allows you to have a lot more compassion for yourself and for others. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just find. I love that. I'm glad I asked because I think it can be that simple. And I often say like, instead of trying to ignore our triggers and the things that bother us or disrupt us or send us into overwhelm or any kind of feeling and emotion that we try to shush down instead like let's use those triggers as a gps to guide us on what needs to be worked through and what needs to be seen and heard and like you just said like looking inwards and actually holding space for the things going on inside of you is like the missing piece I think because if we're constantly just looking outside of ourselves and if we're constantly stuck in comparison and just thinking like thinking that we're not enough and not seeing all parts of ourselves then we're never going to come into that equilibrium aligned state of being but there's a readiness factor that needs to be there I think um, yeah, it's you know I wasn't ready, you know, at, at right after my first child, couldn't have done that introspective work. Yeah, and like you said, like you weren't open to it. You yeah, were just open in a second cry. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One other piece that I was just reflecting on is for your first, when we were kind of joking about society's to-do list and how you were quick, quickly going through the list in terms of like how quickly you guys got engaged, married, dog, baby, you had mentioned, and I don't know if this was intentional in sharing this part of your story, but you had mentioned that you were following your intuition in terms of the wedding, even though that felt crazy. You were following your intuition in terms of getting the dog, even though that was crazy too, considering how far along in your pregnancy you were. But you did kind of allude that getting pregnant was maybe more of a society should. And I wonder if in contrast to getting pregnant with your son and how that was a huge full body yes like I need to be pregnant I'm jealous of pregnant people I didn't even know I wanted the baby but I know I want one now um Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder if that you were already on the trajectory of having a different motherhood experience I think Mm -hmm. you were already more open Mm -hmm. it was a want not a like it was a true deep desire not a should. And I mean, I'm absolutely not saying that you didn't want your daughter. You did, but like, yeah, like it was different. And I wonder again, like hindsight Mm -hmm. is 2020, right? Like we never know these things as we're going through them. You would never know that there's a different feeling of 
wanting to be pregnant until you experienced it? Yeah. Going, looking back, going into my first pregnancy, it was, I really want this because of the vision I have of it with no kid. And so, and then I had that and that was great, but it also came with all this other stuff that was really tough Mm. that no one talked about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas going in the second time, I knew that stuff was going to be there. Mm-hmm. I knew there would be baby snuggles, um, but I also knew that it was going to challenge me and push me to places I'd never been before. And it did. <laughs> yeah. The other piece I was just thinking about is how it can be really easy to have these kind of like fixed expectations in our mind and just how disorienting it can be when reality doesn't meet those expectations. And so, of course, heading into a second pregnancy and having a second child, your expectations are a little bit more, uh, what's the word? Obviously, you don't know what that second child is going to be like temperament-wise. You don't know what your experience is going to be like. But I just think... Mm-hmm. You sort of know what to expect, or at least you know to expect the unexpected versus the first time around. I feel like we're naively hoping that we'll still be able to maintain a sense of control and we'll be able to clench on to that old identity. And like you said, like not bend over backwards and change all your rhythms and routines. And if we are continuously resisting that, then it just ends up being this obsession in our mind. So either way, (laughs) like we should just give in. It's so much easier if we just give in. And embrace and embody all that it has because that's, you know, I don't have any regrets, but um, I am sad that I didn't always embrace and embody Um, the experience fully from the get-go. Hey, before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you were thinking of anyone while listening, please send it their way. And if anything resonated with you or you love these conversations, please subscribe and leave a review. This really helps the podcast algorithms Um, put my show in front of more people just like you and the last thing I would love nothing more than hearing from you so say hi dm me on instagram and give me a follow at nicole pasvier until next time